focus on headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, joining us in the studio, we have our Sochi sisters in Kwonsua and Chejihi. Guys, welcome back. Good, Good evening. evening. Good evening to you guys. As widely expected, we did also talk about this yesterday with Professor Yang Jun-suk mm-hmm. uh, in regards to the Fed uh, making its uh, decision on the benchmark lending rate. It is frozen for mm-hmm. the fourth consecutive time. Uh, there was more interest in what U.S. Fed Chair uh, Jerome Powell would say and when the rate cuts would happen. Ji, you're going to start us off. Let's get the latest uh, decision from the U.S. Fed. Right. So the U.S. Central Bank announced after a two-day Federal Open Market Committee meeting that it decided to keep the base interest rate between 5.25 and 5.50 percent. Policymakers at the central bank had signaled they expect to cut rates three times this year but chose to keep rates steady at a 23-year high after their first two-day meeting for this year, 2024. Now, the bank has kept the interest rate at the same level since it was frozen in September last year. To emphasize their inflation target, the bank stated that the committee does not plan to lower the target range until they're more confident that inflation is consistently moving towards 2%. Now, when asked to explain the need for greater confidence, Powell stated that the Fed is looking for more positive data to confirm what inflation is moving towards, uh, uh, that inflation is moving towards its target in a sustainable way. Now, while Powell said there is confidence still, uh, greater confidence is needed and better looking data is required as well. And asked if a rate cut is likely at the next FOMC meeting slated for March, uh, Powell said it may not be the most likely case. Now, he said it isn't likely that the committee will reach a level of confidence by the time of the March meeting, so it's not likely to be called the base case. And following the previous rate-setting meeting in December, Powell said the policy rate was likely at or near its peak for the tightening cycle. Uh, And these were remarks that indicated the Fed would pivot away from its rate-hiking campaign launched in March 2022 uh, to cool inflation. Yeah, again, I mean, uh, we've talked to a number of experts in regards to what the U.S. Fed plans to do with the rest of the year. And the the earliest timeline that we did get for a rate cut was uh, sometime maybe, I think, July's FOMC meeting. They said it wasn't going to happen in the first half of this year. And uh, inflation, they want to kind of uh, hit that 2% target, not even the 2% range. We're Mm -hmm. talking about 2% exactly is what they're saying. They're still kind of far from that. But again, we are watching this very closely. There are speculations on how Korea will react in terms of its own monetary policy. So uh, uh, do we have any suggestions on what Korea Central Bank, the BOK, is going to be doing? Well, with the U.S. Fed showing a rather cautious move, it's highly expected that the Bank of Korea won't be initiating a rate cut in the very near future. Korea this month had kept its key interest rate steady for the eighth consecutive time that was during its uh, first uh, monetary policy meeting this year. Uh, The BOK is suggesting that the restrictive policy stance will remain for the time being. However, as there are indications that a rate hike in the uh, uh, 
the U.S. A rate cut in the U.S. could happen in the second quarter. Here in Korea, there are expectations that it'll come sometime in the second half of the year. BOK Governor Lee Chang-yung at a forum this Thursday said the monetary policy needs to remain restrictive for a sufficiently long time, adding that monetary policies, inflation and financial stability data of major countries need to be monitored. He was uh, basically reiterating the central bank's stance on bringing inflation further down before any rate changes. Regarding forecasts of Korea's economy, the BOK chief looked forward towards some growth thanks to rising export figures. We'll go into those export figures Mm -hmm. uh, later in the program as well, while expecting private consumption to continue to remain sluggish. Many experts, meanwhile, believe that the central bank will cut its key interest rate in the second half of the year. Now, SJ, you mentioned that some experts uh, mentioned that the Fed's cut could come maybe in July, but Mm -hmm. uh, now, uh, after um, the statements from uh, Jerome Powell, I think after that, experts now have come out saying that it could come as early as in May or June, and Korea might follow suit as early as July. Okay, so maybe I thought I was thinking about the the Korean Central Bank, uh, because the reason for that is they're saying, I believe there is a Bank of Korea's meeting sometime before the April general election, Mm. but it's it's highly unlikely that they'll cut rates because they'll think of it as like a political maneuver, right? They try to cut rates and they try to sway voters into one side over the other and so forth. And so I think the next time that they can make the decision is going to be sometime in July. So I might be thinking about July here. But even with the U.S. Fed, though, like May, June is like a very, I guess, optimistic look Mm. into this because, again, uh, despite the fact that inflation seems to be cooling, we're looking at uh, recent data that came from the U.S. Commerce Department, uh, it's still in not in the range that I think the U.S. Fed wants to. And for some reason, they're very stubborn with this 2%, exact 2% inflation rate, which, I mean, it's not going to go anywhere near this, especially because now we're, again, uh, seeing rises in shelter prices. We're seeing rise, rises in the energy prices once again. And so we'll see what happens. But uh, one thing is for sure, I mean, for years now, uh, many of the people here in Korea have taken, taken out uh, massive mortgages to buy homes, uh, a lot of burden on them with these high interest rates. Uh, in the meantime, Second Vice Foreign Minister Kang Yun-sun and U.S. Undersecretary of State for Economic Growth, Energy and the Environment, Jose Fernandez, held the uh, held a vice ministerial level annual meeting of the senior economic dialogue yesterday afternoon. Uh, key agendas on the economy were being discussed there. Uh, Gee, let's get the disc- uh, let's get the uh, details of that. Sure. So the senior economic dialogue, a regular channel for South Korean and U.S. vice foreign ministers to comprehensively discuss the economic partnership between the two countries, was held in Seoul uh, yesterday at the foreign ministry building. Now, Second Vice Foreign Minister Kang In-sun and U.S. Undersecretary of State for Economic Growth, Energy and Environment Jose Fernandez discussed various economic and security issues, this including the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, the Chips and Science Act, the Minerals Security Partnership, and cooperation on early warning systems, as well as cooperation in areas such as development, infrastructure, and climate. Now, South Korea reportedly reiterated its position on the IRA's Foreign Entity of Concern, or FEOC, provisions, for which the government and industry recently submitted comments to the U.S. government. 
Uh, to qualify for the U.S. government's IRA electric vehicle subsidy, battery components must not be sourced from these FEOCs uh, starting this year, and key minerals for batteries must not be sourced, again, from FEOCs starting in 2025. However, in the detailed regulations released last month, virtually all companies in China were identified or defined as FEOCs, which is expected to put a huge burden on the domestic and foreign electric vehicle and battery industries uh, that rely heavily on key minerals from China. Now, in a recent comment letter, the South Korean government requested that measures be introduced to help companies effectively adapt to the new regulations, taking into account the business realities faced by companies and their plans to uh, diversify the global battery supply chain. Now, during the meeting, Kang reiterated his request for cooperation to ensure reasonable implementation uh, regulations that take into account supply chain realities. Uh, this according to the foreign ministry. And Kang explained that Korean companies are contributing to creating quality jobs and strengthening supply chains in the U.S. through their investments and urged the U.S. administration to pay special attention to ensuring that they receive corresponding investment tax credits and subsidies as soon as possible. Now, this appears to be directed at the U.S. Semiconductor Act, uh, which provides semiconductor production subsidies and R&D support to encourage semiconductor companies to invest in facilities in the U.S. And the idea is that Korean companies investing in the U.S. should be able to receive the same support fairly. Now, during this uh, SCD or the Senior Economic Dialogue, the two sides also discussed ways for Korea and the U.S. to cooperate in er other areas, such as bridging the digital divide and combating climate change in the ASEAN and the Pacific Island nations. Now, if you remember uh, a couple of years back, starting from a couple of years back and uh, for some parts of 2023, we were talking extensively mm -hmm. about the Inflation Reduction Act, right, the IRA mm -hmm. yeah. and uh, how it's going to be impacting the South Korean automobile. Uh, companies like Hyundai Motor and uh, Kia Motors and so forth. And so there was a lot of worries that because of the lack of subsidies that the South Korean automakers were going to be receiving under the IRA, uh, that the sales of the EVs over in the United States was going to plummet. I was looking at some of the numbers because I did get a little bit curious, but uh, they didn't meet their sales in 2023 was a little bit lower than their expected target but it was fairly good and they're saying uh, they've upped the target for 2024 to 200,000 uh, units for the entire year and they're saying that they might be able to receive this so luckily uh, despite the inflation reduction act and uh, the potential negative impact on the south korean automakers uh, for the ev because the electric vehicles uh, it seems like the, the i guess the impact wasn't as bad as what we anticipated and so which is why uh, these discussions are all the more important here uh, in the meantime u.s industry group has called on new multilateral chip export controls uh, arguing that current unilateral restrictions in effect uh, harm American businesses in their competition with countries like South Korea and others. So you got the details of this. Right. Uh, the Semiconductor Industry Association was found to have made a request to the Bureau of Industry and Security, which is under the U.S. Commerce Department, in on January 17th, calling on the government to create new multilateral export regulations for semiconductor equipment. And uh, the argument being that the existing stringent U 
unilateral export controls disadvantage U.S. companies when compared to rivals from other countries, with Korea having been named as well. If we take a closer look at the association's written comment, it stressed that multilateral controls are more effective than unilateral ones in protecting U.S. businesses from being put at a disadvantage in the global marketplace. The group noted that end-use restrictions and bans on U.S. funding for advanced fabrication facilities in China are imposed by U.S. standalone regulations and that this hurts competitiveness of U.S. semiconductor manufacturing equipment firms. The statement went on to claim that U.S. companies are incapable of exporting any equipment used in the manufacturing of semiconductors to advanced fabrication plants in China, whereas foreign rivals from Korea, Japan, Taiwan, Israel, and the Netherlands are able to export equipment not subject to controls to advanced Chinese fabrication facilities, as well as support such equipment. With that, uh, the group called on the uh, Bureau of Industry and Security to do everything that's possible to craft new controls. Um, Last month, meanwhile, Alan S. Stevis, U.S. Undersecretary of Commerce for Industry and Security, had hinted on preliminary talks with allies like South Korea over a new export control regime that would protect the U.S. and its allies from adversaries and keep up with technological changes. So that could be a little confusing because uh, the first part that I talked about kind of felt like uh, this could hurt South Korean companies in the end or other rivals such as from Taiwan and the Netherlands, uh, all those um, big uh, semiconductor uh, powerhouses. Mm -hmm. But then with the U.S. having last uh, month hinted that it is looking for some new export control regime that includes South Korea, that could mean that this would be kind of a regime that excludes China. So it's kind of uh, confusing. We don't know if this would actually be something good for Korea or not. No, it's not good. It's not good because you're ba- the U.S. is basically going. Remember when U.S. put all these like restrictions in place, mm. right? Whether it be export controls and <laughs> even import controls, as in like we're not going to be purchasing whatever goods from uh, semiconductor goods from China, citing national security issues, or even exporting goods. I mean, on the outside, it seems like the U.S. is sort of countering uh, China, but you have to understand that there are many businesses, despite the trade war that's been going on for years between the United States and China, U.S. and China, U.S.'s number one trading partner is China. Like, those two cannot be separated. U.S. needs China. China needs United States. And so when the United States put all these export restrictions in place for China, a lot of these uh, companies, U.S. companies, are not able to sell to China. And they're going, dude, that's our major market there. And so it doesn't help out. And so they're going, hey, guys, since we can't sell it, let's all not sell together. And that's really not fair for countries like uh, South Korea. Mm. You mentioned mentioned Taiwan being included, Netherlands. Mm. These are, like you said, semiconductor powerhouses. And it kind of seems like the United States doesn't want to be the only one kind of left out in this whole semiconductor group here. And so, yeah, not, really not fair. And we've talked about this, even with the Chips Act. It just doesn't feel uh, fair for the South Korean companies. Uh, also, the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework, or IPEF, uh, for Prosperity Agreement on Supply Chains, uh, will come into effect this month in five member states. Uh, this according to the U.S. Commerce Department. Uh, Gee, let's get more on this. Right. So the U.S.-led IPEF deal signed by 14 countries aimed at reinforcing their supply chains will enter into force on the 24th of this month. 
And under the deal, the member states of the framework will select important items to be covered by the agreement and establish organizations to strengthen supply chains. Now, it allows member states to work more closely in dealing with supply chain disruptions, such as in the event, for example, of a pandemic, uh, by helping each other secure critical industrial items and minerals. Now, the five member countries, including Japan, the U.S., India, Singapore, and Fiji, have completed their approval procedures for the IPF deal, allowing it to enter into force within this month. Now, U.S. Commerce uh, Secretary Gina Raimondo said that the IPF members have delivered, quote-unquote, tangible outcomes in record time. And she added that with the IPF supply chain agreement shortly entering into force, the member countries will now move forward and work collaboratively through this innovative framework with the goal of strengthening supply chains and preventing potential disruptions before they arise for the collective benefit of the member countries' workers as well as the businesses. Now, once the agreement enters into force in the five countries, implementation preparations will begin as well, including the selection of key items and the operation of an implementation organization. Uh, In the case of South Korea, it's taking domestic steps to ratify the IPEF supply chain agreement, including an internal government review. Now, it will deposit its instrument of ratification upon completion of the domestic ratification process. And as we all know, uh, the economic initiative was first launched by U.S. President Joe Biden in Tokyo in May back in 2022 uh, to create high-level common standards for commercial activities. But then the framework is seen as a tool to actually reduce reliance on China for semiconductors and other key minerals. Yeah, and this is uh, exactly what China was not a big fan of when IPEF was uh, already, you know, beginning its kind of uh, process of being implementation process, uh, South Korea being part of this. And uh, the, the argument that was made uh, though, uh, was that uh, they're part of RCEP. Now, RCEP is kind of the Chinese, the China-led uh, initiative, and IPEF was kind of the, the counter to RCEP was what it was. And so what happens to all the countries that are part of two, uh, both uh, initiatives and frameworks uh, is the big question. Uh, but some good news on the domestic trade front uh, with the beginning of a new month. South Korea's exports rose for the fourth month in a row, uh, largely thanks to a continuous recovery in the semiconductor sector. Uh, so well, let's get the latest figures on this. Sure. South Korea's exports appear to be on a safe, upward-moving trajectory as outbound shipments rose for the fourth consecutive month in January. Uh, and not just by a little, but 18% compared to the same month last year, uh, resulting to $54.6 billion. And that is the sharpest increase in some six years. Imports declined uh, 7.8% on year to $54.3 billion that meaning Korea has achieved a trade surplus of $300 million. Now, I don't really uh, clearly remember the import figures um, last month, but I do remember that imports used to decline by double-digit figures. So I think even the decline by 7.8% this time in January is not that bad. Yeah, Um, because an import, a decline in the import is not necessarily a good thing, mm -hmm, right? You might, because we we often talk about this trade surplus, Mm -hmm. but when you look at the 
the dip, uh, imports declining, that means domestic demand is declining right. by that much. So mm-hmm. yeah. But uh, yeah, but however, now I think uh, the figure itself is not too bad. So we might also see an improvement uh, in imports. However, the surplus uh, has been maintained since June last year. The biggest achievement in January was no doubt observed in the semiconductor sector. Chip exports hiked up 56.2% on year to $9.37 billion. That's not only a three straight months increase, but the highest one since December 2017. Uh, Back then, we had a 64.9% rise. And according to Korea's trade ministry, the rebound is attributed to higher pricing abroad following a reduction of production by major memory chip manufacturers. A growing popularity of mobile devices that feature high-end memory chips, plus the growing demand for chips used in the artificial intelligence industry added to the overall improvement. And that's not it. Automobile exports rose by almost 25% on-year in January to $6.2 billion. And that's the best figure for any January and an increase for the 19th straight month. High demand for eco-friendly cars in the U.S. and Europe are cited as reasons. Machinery product shipments surged 14.5% and ships 76% to $4.4 billion and $2.5 billion, respectively. According to Industry Minister An Dokken, the year 2024 has begun with what he called all four puzzle pieces of exports having been aligned. That being an increase in outbound shipments, the trade surplus, a net growth in exports to China, and the recovery in chip exports. And uh, especially, I think there are high expectations in the semiconductor uh, market uh, following the recent uh, plans regarding that uh, gigantic uh, chip cluster. Right, uh, which involves Samsung Electronics and um, SK Hynix. So I don't know how you remember this, but mm. you're right. Imports decreased double digits. It was 12.1% right. uh, <laughs> on year in December. But like a couple of things, right? Mm. I, I guess if you look at this half glass full, you're right. I mean, these are all increases, exports going up, and uh, you're seeing a slower, I guess, uh, slower decrease in the imports and so forth. Um, but you have to also take into consideration maybe maybe are these figures looking very positive because of the base effect in Mm. that same time last year 2023 was not a very good year uh, for exports right and so because it was so bad and but if you're looking at it half uh, full, you're saying we're seeing a recovery, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a bad year, 2023. Even if compared to last year, if it's uh, going up by that much, we are certainly seeing a recovery in this. And because, like Soa said, uh, semiconductors being such a large chunk of the export figures out there, uh, it's good to see that we're seeing a recovery in the front. We're going to talk domestic politics now because leading up to the April general elections, this is what we're really going to uh, talk a lot about. Uh, the National Assembly, though, convening its last plenary meeting of of January's extraordinary session today, uh, dealing with some major bills, uh, this including SAPA. We talk, briefly talked about SAPA with an expert earlier this week. Uh, Jihee, you have the latest uh, results with this because uh, there was some last minute, mm. I guess, uh, decisions being made by the main opposition Democratic Party. Nevertheless, uh, give us the details of this. Right. So the Democratic Party has decided not to accept an amendment that would have delayed the implementation of a regulation extending the application of the Serious Accident Punishment Act, or the SAPA, to workplaces with fewer than 50 employees for two years. 
Now, Democratic Party leader Hong Yik-pyo explained that his party has decided to be more faithful to the basic value of prioritizing the lives and safety of workers at industrial sites. Now, the floor leaders of the ruling People Power Party and the main opposition Democratic Party failed to reach an agreement in the last-minute negotiations yesterday over uh, the PPP-proposed compromise of a one-year deferment of the uh, SAPA Act for small companies instead of the original two years. Now, small and medium-sized businesses have expressed concerns about the vast scope and responsibility of the Act uh, and the vagueness as well, and argued that they need more time to prepare for the regulation. Now, earlier in the day, uh, the deal to extend the grace period of this implementation of the regulation to extend the coverage of the workplace law uh, to workplaces, like I said, with fewer than 50 employees for two years and to establish a new occupational safety and health agency, uh, but to open it two years later, was proposed once again. But And the Democratic Party leadership, in fact, had indicated uh, its acceptance earlier in the day, raising the possibility of a passing uh, of passing the amendment to the law. However, uh, in the last minute, uh, the amendment was rejected by the Democrats and the bill was not passed in the plenary session. And during today's uh, plenary session, several other bills were discussed as well. One of them was the amendment of the Automobile Management Act, which seeks to eliminate the license plate sealing system, uh, which is a system that was introduced back in 1962 to prevent tampering with license plates. And also the Parking Lot Act was discussed, which prohibits camping and cooking in parking lots. What? <laughs> <laughs> That's I what know, people do. <laughs> I didn't know that was there. Okay. Yeah. And lastly, the Improvement of Transportation Convenience for the Disabled Act was also on the table, which prohibits obstructing parking in uh, parking areas that are reserved for the disabled. You shouldn't be able to do that in the first place mm. without a, any kind of uh, discussions on within the, uh, the the parliament. But like it was weird because like Ji said, it, it seemed like they were going to come to an agreement. Mm. I mean, we kind of said this with the Etaewon Disaster Special Act, where even the uh, the National Assembly Speaker uh, Kim Jin Pyo kind of came out and said like, well, the rival party is kind of ninety percent there, and it seems like they're going to come to an agreement. It was kind of the same case with this one with this uh, the workplace safety law because uh, I believe the PPP had said that you know what what we can give is the fact that uh, some uh, what is it the intergovernmental agency to be set up so that they could keep all the workplaces in check uh, in exchange for the two per, uh, two year grace period and i think that the dp basically said all right we're getting somewhere and it really did look like uh, they were going to come into an agreement and what hong Pyo, uh, the dp floor leader hong Pyo, basically said was i thought it was more important that uh, we start prioritizing the safety of the workers and so they decided to reject it but there was nothing other other than that, I mean, there was no real clear-cut uh, explanation on why uh, they decided to reject the proposal there. But though the whole discussion on prohibiting cooking in parking lots, that, that would not fare well over in the United States. Uh, we're oh. uh, tailgating. We call it tailgating. We're like in like uh, parking lots of stadiums, a party with like barbecue and stuff like that. But I didn't know these all of this existed. Uh, let's move on to another major issue that's going to be something that uh, we're going to talk about for uh, some weeks Moving forward here, Korea's health ministry unveiling a plan to deal with the shortage of doctors in rural areas and essential fields. 
Uh, so let's get the details of this. Right. Uh, before we get into this uh, question to you, sure. SJ, you live in the outskirts of the capital, right? Oh, yeah. Jeez, yes. And it, it has a name. It's called <laughs> Anyang. Sorry. Sorry. No, I was just kind of trying to make Call it outskirts. A, no, no. <laughs> no, just, I was just going to make a, a point uh, regarding okay. the shortage of uh, doctors in uh, places outside the capital, Seoul. Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever have difficulties in getting your child to the pediatric? Uh, hospital? We don't go to a pediatric hospital uh-huh. uh, because we can't find one uh, yeah. in our area. Exactly, that's the problem. And mind you, uh, it is a, a very, my neighborhood is a very family oriented mm-hmm. neighborhood with a lot of like cram schools and stuff and a lot of schools and stuff. Mm. There is, uh, we can't find a pediatric wow. uh, hospital, so we just go to a regular hospital. Mm. So probably this news is also going to be welcoming to like parents like yourself. Uh, we not only have the highest population figures in the Seoul metropolitan area, but also the proportion of doctors has been concentrated in and around the capital and big cities. So to tackle the shortage of doctors in rural areas, the Ministry of Health and welfare this Thursday announced a set of measures that focuses on rewarding doctors with incentives for working at places they are most needed. The ratio of mandatory selection of uh, med students at provincial universities is expected to be raised as well. The plan also aims to attract more doctors to practice in essential areas that are often fields of higher risks. These sectors include transplant operations and pediatric surgeries. Some 10 trillion won or roughly 7.5 billion US dollars are to be allocated by the government by the year 2028 to give benefits for doctors working in these sectors. So what will these benefits look like? Scholarships for medical students, as well as attractive incomes and better housings for doctors who sign long-term contracts at uh, rural hospitals. The government also plans to promote a safety net for doctors and patients regarding possible malpractices or maybe I should rather say accidents. And that will include a limitation to doctors' criminal liability in the occurrence of medical accidents and for patients. Uh, a promise of swift compensation because uh, because um, of this, there have been many doctors that you know uh, s- uh, switched their sectors like mm-hmm. uh, that are less safer, risky. Safer, yes, safer. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, the government also vowed to grow the overall number of doctors by increasing the medical school enrollment quota. Um, an expansion by at least. 1,000 from the current 3,058 a year has been mentioned uh, to be started in 2024, uh, 25 that is. And uh, this, as figures estimate that there will be a shortage of some 15,000 doctors by 2035. That's probably also got to do with the aging population. Mm-hmm. Now, meanwhile, President uh, Yoon Seok-yeol expressed his support for the new plan during a government public debate this Thursday, emphasizing, quote, now is the golden time to pursue medical reform. I mean, again, I, the difficult thing with this, right? Like, it looks really good on paper. Now, this is targeted towards the doctors, right? Mm-hmm. Because we're seeing a shortage of doctors. 
I don't know so if you're trying to call Anyang a rural place. No, I I, I knew I kind of knew you would say that, but <laughs> I, I was actually referring to the capital Seoul versus other places because I also have a friend who lives in Kimpo, and she also said uh, that she had problems with getting her child to um, uh, emergency hospital. Because, yeah, because Kimpo is it's it's actually and a it's lot a big yeah city, it's a lot right? bigger than mm. you think, and so there's a lot of actually there's a lot of rural areas in Kimpo. Mm. Uh, there's vast land there, most of it is farmland, and they're starting to slowly developing it because it's a developing area there's not a lot of hospitals but the only concern with the whole criminal liability thing with that Mm -hmm. is you're basically saying well if the doctors kind of go through a malpractice or there's some kind of medical accident they're not going to be liable for it and just quickly just compensate the uh i guess the patients then the doctors i mean they might not be up to par to be a doctor but they're going to be protected by this law and instead let's just kind of you know uh, cover all this up by just compensating the victim. I mean, sorry, the, the patients as soon as possible and so forth. But the other interesting thing that didn't happen today was, I believe the government was supposed to be announcing the uh, the medical school quota today mm-hmm. was what it is. Initially, they said February first they're going to make this announcement, and I believe the consensus was that they were going to be increasing it by some like two thousand uh, more med school students by 2025, right? I think it was a 2025, uh, the medical entrance exam, I think is the year, but they didn't make the announcement. They've delayed this. And so I don't know what the delay is all about. I know there's been some backlash from the medical group, like the KMA and so forth, but the the, the medical, what is it? The government is still going to push for it. But I think the fact of the matter is when you're telling me there's going to be a shortage of some 15,000 doctors by 2035, Mm -hmm. it's really, really concerning. And the other big concern is that more and more people are now not wanting to be doctors mm-hmm. because everyone wants that work-life balance, right? And when you're a doctor, there is no work-life balance, balance, despite whatever amount you might be getting paid. And they are also arguing, if you look at some of the other countries out there, doctors, yes, they get paid well. But in Korea, they're saying relative to some of the other countries, like in the United States, they're not paid as much as what mm-hmm. they're saying. And so it's not worth uh, being a doctor. And so I, I believe... I don't know if the the increase of the quota is really going to help because now they're saying that also there's not a lot of people that want to uh, go to med schools moving forward. But we'll see. Again, the government has not met uh, made the announcement on the quota just yet. Let's move on to some brighter news here, uh, something that we haven't really been able to cover too much. Uh, we did cover it here and there uh, during uh, our sports segment in Inside Sport on Mondays. The fourth edition of the Winter Youth Olympic Games, uh, which has been taking place uh, in uh, Kangwon, uh, is coming to a close this evening. Uh, Ji, let's uh, wrap us up with the latest news there. Sure. So the fourth Winter Youth Olympics is drawing to a conclusion today with a celebration of feats accomplished by teenage athletes over the past two weeks. Now, the closing ceremony will start at 8 p.m. tonight, local time, under the theme Shine Again. And the motto for this year's competition was Grow Together, Shine Forever. Uh, Kangwon 2024 is the first Winter Youth Olympics held outside Europe after Austria, Norway and Switzerland hosted the first three. And with 1,802 athletes from 78 countries in action, this was also the largest Winter Youth Games ever. Uh, And South Korea had the largest delegation with 102 athletes and concluded the event with seven golds, six silver and four bronze medals uh, coming in third uh, with 17 medals. As of the uh, total number of medals, they came in sixth, but the total score would be third. 
And some 1,700 people are expected to gather at the closing ceremony at the Open Plaza in front of Gangneung Hockey Center tonight. And a pre-show will begin as well at 7.30 p.m. I love how at the beginning of the, the Gangneung 2024, they were like, we're not going to do any medal standings. And so if you go to like the Olympic <laughs> website, they go, there's no medal standing. I, they mm. said, we're trying to get rid of all these like competitive nature, the competition uh, of uh, uh, these young athletes. And uh, we want them to gain more the the, the friendship mm. and what comes from the competition in itself and they started not and to like, say, but all the media covered all the, oh, fi- the final medal tally because we did well <laughs> and also like uh, figure uh, former figure skater Kim Yona said it's about uh, you know um, experiencing the, the the nervousness that you have in such a big competition hey. rather mm, yeah yeah go yeah. ahead go ahead <laughs> yeah that, that was it uh, Kim Yona uh-huh. is from the outskirts of Seoul <laughs> She's from Sanbong. <laughs> so I just want to, <laughs> since you mentioned Kim Yana being such uh, a big name. I was going to mention that uh, like after uh, uh, the, uh, the microphone is off again, but you had to mention it again on air. <laughs> All the outskirts of Seoul unite together. <laughs> Go again, Soa. Guys, thank you very much for your reports. Have a safe rest of the week and we'll see you guys again. Thank, thank you. you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6pm to 8pm, Korea time.